Commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to the sixth uh, BOA coronavirus special report with my good buddy, and uh, now I guess you could say co-host on this wild ride, where if you told me six weeks ago, I couldn't even imagine where we'd where we were where we would be uh, here on April seventeenth, but uh, we're here whether we like it or not. Um, and so I, I say this all the time, but I can't thank him enough for continuing this ride. And we're going to do it again here tonight. Dr. Tyler Cook, John, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you. Here we are. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's gotten really weird this week. Uh, I guess we'll start out as we do on the show with, uh, with the numbers here. We're not going to sugarcoat it, folks, as I say all the time. Uh, according to Worldometer, which has become kind of my go-to now, um, but as I said, there's like three different sites, and they all kind of um, they all kind of do the same thing, so it varies relatively. Um, but I use Worldometer because they have a little more. I can get a little more handle on the stats, kind of dig down deeper. But um, according to Worldometer, there are uh, 709,735 coronavirus cases here in the United States. So, again, when we started the show six weeks ago, there were 1,000, and now we're at 709,000, so staggering. Um, The number of deaths has been demoralizing, tragic, uh, horrifying. This is just, you know, I I, I can't even, I I couldn't even run out of adjectives to describe this. It's it's a living nightmare, folks. Uh, 37,154 deaths. Uh, It's... That's just in the United States. It's a uh, you know this is the this is the nightmare scenario we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I personally, I mean, I'm seeing it just here in Massachusetts. You know, it's funny we talked about this. I don't know, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. It seemed like, oh, maybe maybe we had kind of dodged a bullet here in Massachusetts. Well, that's not the case um, because now we're we're third in the country behind New York and New Jersey. Um, and people are, it's, it's, you know, the last few days, it's been like over 100 people dying every day. Today was like 159 people. Um, the obituaries this past Sunday in the Boston Globe were 11 pages. Um, and I guarantee you, I, I imagine it's going to be something like 22 pages, 30 pages, or something like crazy like that. 
this coming Sunday because it's been like this all week, um, 150 or so people every day in Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, it's staggering. Today for New York, they had 1,000 thousand deaths. So this is this is what we talked about, you know, said on the show. It's like when people are dying by the hundreds every day, what's going to happen? And in a lot of places, uh, that is the case. Other places, it's on. it seems like it's on its way there. At the very least, in just about every state I'm looking at here in the top, Top sort of bracket, if you will. Uh, there's dozens or so um, cases, uh, dozens of deaths. Uh, the cases are just just counting the cases is becoming almost uh, an onerous task in and of itself because the number just keeps growing and growing. And uh, I assume we're going to stick with this for a few more weeks, and I guarantee you that at some point in the next couple of weeks we'll we'll be at a million people uh, in America with it. We already think. We, I mean, I think we can all agree. There's definitely a million people or so, or much more than that probably, who have this. But uh, we'll get into the testing issue. Testing was kind of the big thing this week. So, uh, what are you? What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts here on uh, as we as we start the sixth week of this mad adventure, Tyler? We're still not clear on what the real numbers are because our testing isn't quite up to the task yet. So what what you do is you take a look at those numbers and say, yeah, that's a rough estimate. Uh, We also have uh, questions about how many people uh, are asymptomatic, what that ratio is. Uh, It will take a while to figure that out as well. Uh, But, yeah, the the testing has been a contentious issue from the very beginning, and uh, it has – it's hurt us. You know, the, the effort has been hampered by the, the, um, the problems with the, the rollout of the tests, and, uh, and it will come back to haunt us again when we start talking about uh, releasing some of the restrictions because we'll need to have a way to sort of figure out, is this okay, is it working, or are cases cropping back up? Uh, you could argue that we could wait to see how many people show up sick uh, or count deaths, for example. But if you do that, you're way behind the curve again. And I, I think you had mentioned earlier that if we're not really careful here, we could end up kind of losing what we won, uh, sacrificed to win uh, in yeah. terms of uh, control, what little control we have. So it's going to be uh, um, a long, I think we said this last week, a long walk towards recovery. And uh, and there may be setbacks. People have to be prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, it's. I think I saw a, a article a while ago, like when this first kind of started, that showed that this was likely going to go with a huge peak at first, then down, then sort of a series of smaller peaks over the next year and a half. Um, but. Uh, the real issue, as we just talked about, is the testing, which is like crazy because I feel like this was like what we were talking about uh, six weeks ago on the first episode. Um, you know, yeah, is that they need the to beginning. test more people. They need to test more people. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I understand it's hard to figure out a test and stuff, but I mean, <sighs> it, it's yeah. really, it's it's disheartening. Uh, that they can't seem in some circles to grasp the concept uh, 
of the fact that we need to test as many people as possible. You know, well, it's, just, you know, it's driving thing, me nuts. What's, what's hurt is uh, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong in kind of a cascade. And we've had problems with the actual administration of the test, but also getting the supplies for the test, the special Dacron swabs and whatnot. But where it's really come back to haunt us again double is the, the slow uh, time to get results. When you're doing this as a diagnostic, as a mitigation strategy, discover, yeah. isolate, treat, uh, which is what our primary focus has been. Uh, we've been so slow and um, basically unable to sort of keep up with demand that coupled with the uh, equipment, the personal uh, protective equipment shortage has left a lot of medical personnel uh, to become ill and, uh, yeah. and not be adequately covered. Then, you know, they're all cascades. And so you get these, these series of events that, that all line up to create kind of a real disaster. It's just unfortunate. Uh, that uh, all these uh, factors came together uh, to cost people their lives. Yeah, it's uh, as I said, uh, we've been up, we've been trying to be upbeat the last couple of weeks, but uh, coming into tonight's show, I got to tell you, folks, uh, I'm bummed. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really uh, concerned, I guess, because it felt like. It felt for, like, a few brief moments that we were all, regardless of what side of this political spectrum you were on, we're on the same page here. Um, and, and it seemed like, okay, we, we're, we're kind of uniting to, to get to fight this thing. And now it seems like everybody's gone back to their little camps, uh, almost maybe as an outgrowth of what we talked about last week, where it seems like people are, now they've gotten used to the situation that we're in. They've processed what's happening, and now they've they've uh, decamped to their respective sides. When what we really need now is a unified front in the face of this thing. This is a long. I, I just don't think people understand. This is a like you said. It's a long process here, and the thought that we're going to magically have this solved in two weeks is just foolish. It's absolutely foolish and dangerous. It's dangerous. You know, the uh, thing that we have to keep in mind is, is not to necessarily, um, I guess, get concerned that we have uh, differences of opinion. Uh, a major problem will be is if, and, and I don't know that it will happen, is if the pressures become so great that we don't rely on uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks to uh, to say, yeah, this is this is okay or reasonably okay. Uh, no, what will have to happen is that the decisions will end up being political decisions. The scientists will be sort of in a supporting role, uh, you know, of, of basically the, the as advisor. But the solution and, and the mechanisms that we choose are not necessarily going to be a medically or scientifically perfect, if there is such a thing, solution. And so we may have to uh, tolerate some risk. We may, um, you know, we've got to get, we understand, get things going again uh, as we yeah. can safely. And so that finding that sweet spot, that middle ground, that's going to be a pretty intense political process. And it's going to be different in different parts of the country. There's no doubt about that. That will Absolutely. be an interesting complication itself. 
you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks, some of those things will start to uh, cascade into us and we'll say like, yeah, um, you know, Michigan's not ready to roll yet. And uh, that means, you know, the auto industry can't get going or, or things like that we hadn't thought of because they can't move parts across. Who knows what will happen? All these things right, we never exactly. thought of. So, we're, yeah, yeah, we're in for a long haul. Uh, we're going to have disagreements. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, we're um, going to be uh, assigning right, wrong, and blame. Uh, we'll just have to kind of, um, I guess, uh, tolerate some more ambiguity and say, well, this may not be quite exactly the way that we think it should be, but this maybe will work out okay. Uh, my worry, honestly, is uh, we might get uh, ahead of the game and try to release too soon and then trouble. Right. That's the, that's the concern of many. And I said this last week, I can understand why there's a lot of people out there who are chomping at the bit to get this, get, you know, reopen the country as they say and everything. And um, if you're out of work, I can totally yeah. understand why, <coughs> and you don't have that cushion, uh, aside from the $1,200 in truck bucks, if you even were lucky enough to get it, um, I can see why people really want to get back to work. Uh, they're worried. They're concerned. I totally empathize with those people. And I, I just worry that if we jump the gun too soon, it's going to hurt them worse than if they if we had just waited I don't, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know when a good time is. That's the thing. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Well, you know what I'm saying? We're all gonna. Go. We're all go. gonna we have our own opinions. Yeah. We know that um, probably by uh, slowing everything down, doing social distancing, that we seem to have achieved some of the goals in terms of not getting our medical systems overwhelmed. If you want to look at it, you know, a system gone uh, really uh, to the to the max, to the extreme. Look at New York. But uh, yeah. if we look at other places, we see that some of these things, these measures have helped and will get us to maybe the best spot that we can be in. But your question about when, you know, is it another two weeks? Um, you know, where, where do we draw the line? All those things, these are going to be very difficult. And one of the interesting things that's happening is the uh, models that have been put out, you know, where they had a range of uh, we'll have a, a hundred thousand deaths to two hundred forty thousand deaths, depending, and and so we we may actually not um, have as dire uh, a circumstance as was first portrayed, uh, and some of the people are are now saying, well, that model's no good. Uh, a lot of people said that model wasn't very good to begin with, but be that as it may, we are constantly in an adjustment and learning situation. We only have a few real solid facts about coronavirus, and we need to remind ourselves that the models are predicated on assumptions, best bets, what we think is happening. They may or may not actually turn out the way that we had hoped they would in terms of predictive power, but we do know a few things, and one of those things that we know is that the coronavirus is a beast. It's unpredictable. It's yeah. a killer, and if you want to see what it can really do, let it off the leash. And I think nobody wants that. Yeah. Well, it's extremely difficult. Uh, I can understand why it would be difficult just in a sense that the country's so big. And there are certain areas where 
I can understand why the people living in, say, I don't know, Montana or whatever, they might feel like that they don't need all these restrictions and everything. Um, and I can understand that. And I, I, I can see the difficulty in you can't really come up with a one-size-fits-all solution necessarily for the entire United States. You're correct. Uh, Absolutely correct, yes. Which is therein lies the challenge, I guess. You know, I think yes. that the, a more nuanced approach would would be key. But then you have people who who just uh, you know they they just want to open it right away. They just they don't care, and it's like I don't know. It it leaves me very I'm more concerned than angry. You know what I'm saying? I'm not like yeah. I understand yeah. human nature and human feelings and everything. So. To me, I just like to err and with this, with, with this, with a pandemic. I feel it's wise to err on the side of caution rather than um, roll the dice. Better safe than sorry is kind of my, my attitude about this. <laughs> well, that's that's actually kind of um, fits with the sort of way I was trained and how I think most medical people would react towards the situation. You know, is that we. Um, we had a set of standards, and one of the first things would be uh, trying to do the best we can in terms of uh, salvaging as many lives as possible. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that was fascinating to me was a statement I think that uh, was attributed to Dr. Oz, which would be yeah. that, well, if we opened up the schools, we'd only lose 2 to 3% of the school children, which, which yeah. is um, – astonishingly unbelievable uh, in terms of coming from a medical professional that you would say that's, that's okay, that's the trade-off. And so when we get into, you know, uh, numbers games, right now, yeah, you know, we're, what, what are we at, 37,000 and counting. Um, how many are we willing to lose? And that, that's, yeah. that's quite an interesting calculation. So, uh, well, you know, one, one problem with the testing is that what we really would like to do, and there will be new tests coming on board that will help us uh, understand antibody prevalence, and then we can figure out what the actual incidence is region by region of the disease, which is going to vary, okay, probably quite markedly. Uh, but we, we have a lot of unknowns, and we need to turn those into a situation where we can establish sort of boundaries or parameters for risk and say, yeah, in this area, there's just too much of it uh, creeping around right now. We don't want to open up. But maybe over here in, uh, in the Bay Area, California, uh, maybe we can give it a try. Uh, and, and they're predicated, in my mind, on the ability to properly surveil uh, and figure out what's going on before you start to see cases show up at the hospital. Because but at that point, it's, it's almost too late. You're behind again. So yeah. it, it's it's going to be difficult. I'm, I'm not going to kid you. We're we're going to we are awaiting new antibody tests. Uh, there will be lots of technical problems and lots of interesting results. I promise you that because we're starting to see some of those things trickle in now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's my. If I had sort of a a bailiwick. In the early days of this show, it was, uh, you know, we need a national lockdown. And now it's, we just need more widespread testing. And that's like, everybody seems to agree with that sentiment. So, um, 
I mean, it's just frustrating, okay. man. It's just frustrating. Uh, what I what I worry about, honestly, Tim, and I, and I don't know that this is the case. I'm just kind of watching, listening to the news, sitting back. Uh, but I think that um, the federal government seems to be reluctant to um, step up and help with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong here. And, That's the impression uh, I get. States, the states, have, uh, Governor Cuomo anyway, has said we need federal help, uh, a national strategy, and all that certainly would be um, very, very helpful. But I'm, I'm not clear that that is going to come along in the, the quick time frame that we need now. And uh, I just uh, I don't know how that will work out. I, I suspect that what will have to happen is the, the states are kind of banded together in consortia, uh, common interest, geographic interest uh, consortia, uh, and it could be that they are going to have to come up with uh, um, the way to develop the t- these tests and pay the the companies to get them ready and validate them. And we may have a lot of tools that, that maybe aren't so great but are hopefully good enough to um, illuminate what we need to see. But yeah, yeah, I just I just don't see how this this uh, kind of, of what appears to be sort of a tug of war between uh, local states. And uh, and the federal government will play out, and it worries me. So we'll just have to watch. Yeah, yeah it's very bizarre. Um, there seems to be no uh, unified plan. Uh, I know they released a plan yesterday, but it's you can't release a plan on a Thursday and then call for citizens in three of the states to completely disregard the plan the following day. Um, we need a national <laughs> unified voice, folks. We need a national unified plan. Um, and if they, Look, if they want to make the national plan, open everything up on May 1st, go for it. I'm not coming out of my fucking house. So <laughs> we'll see how it works out. I'll see you on June 1st, guys. You know? But to me, I just, the, the, the up and down and left and right and can't decide and I'm in charge and now I'm going to let you do it and I'm not responsible and you're responsible and I am take credit for all this, but this part isn't my fault. Just give me a fucking break. People are dying, okay? We need, a, we need leadership, man. Not cheerleaders. We need leaders. So I, I'm yeah. really fed up. Yeah, I guess honestly, Tim. Um, of course, I, I can only speak for myself, and, and maybe a few acquaintances. I think the banal plan, as you've outlined it in essential detail, is one that a lot of people will follow. And I believe because uh, they are uh, concerned about, you know, well, wait, is, is this actually safe? And I'm, I'm not sure. And that's why uh, a testing program that would help us understand what the true prevalence is uh, by antibody tests, for example, of the disease, how many people have had it, uh, how fast is it spreading through the community, uh, whatever we can do to to get those numbers and reassure ourselves that uh, it's not as bad as we thought or, you know, we need to be a little cautious for the next few weeks. I just don't see people walking into a vacuum. Uh, Yeah. Freely, you know. Now the problem will be is that a lot of people will be compelled. If, if your place of business basically says either show up or get fired, 
for example, then hopefully they will have arranged things so that you have social distancing, staggered shifts, all those, doing what they can do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people will get swept up and, and not have options like we do. And um, it's yeah, going to be absolutely. pretty it's, tough. It's pretty tough. It's a dual it's a dual tragedy in a way, or it could be. Um, I saw somebody, I shared the tweet on Twitter today. You know, I don't think people, some of these folks, it, I got, it's a double-edged sword. Some people, the, it, this is a sort of a rant about the system, where it's like people are going to have to go back to work because this is just how the system is built, and it's incredibly unfair. They're going to have to go back to work to survive, to get the economy going so the super rich people <laughs> don't lose any more money. And you've got people who are protesting. They want to. They want to end the end all the restrictions and everything. And as far as the people who are doing that, in a sense, some of them at least are. Some of them need to get back to work, and I totally understand that. And I, I addressed that in the first part of this this sort of ramp. But the other part is like, why you're you're protest? You're not even protesting for anything really to benefit you in a sense. You're protesting to be allowed to go back to work so you can keep working for for the super rich. It's it's like yeah. uh, come on, man. This whole system's fucking yeah. broken. Don't don't you don't uh, I I mean <laughs> it's like it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. It is uh it it's fascinating in its own strange way. Some of the, the protests that I saw I think were on Thursday and I noticed that a yeah. lot of the people were in, in close proximity to each other without any protective equipment of their own. And I thought, wow, is that reflective of, the, of a belief that there's nothing out there? Uh, you know, that wait, this is all a hoax, that it's all overblown. And so let me go back to work and, and get back to life the way it was. And what I worry about there is um, those people may be making a really horrible error and one that we yeah. may not be able to take back necessarily. So, uh, you know, you have uh, political identity, political beliefs, whatnot, we all do, uh, and they can vary. Uh, I don't know that I'd let it necessarily drive my medical decisions. Exactly. Things, yeah. things that could affect, you know, personal health. And so I would, urge those people, you know, exercise your right to protest, but be careful. And uh, right. I thought exactly. that was very striking. Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm just wondering, like, you know, is this a cadre of people that have chosen, for whatever reason, not to believe any of the message? And, uh, boy, I hope that doesn't work to their detriment. I think there's a sizable portion of people in the country who don't believe, who genuinely think this is all hype. And to me... Um, now look, I don't know anybody who's died from it. If that's the, I mean, come on. If that's the, if that's the barometer that some people use, that's kind of crazy. Cause it's like, I don't know anybody that died from AIDS, but plenty of people did. Millions of people did. So yeah. Yeah. At some point, uh, I, I've never stepped foot in Australia, but I know it's there. <laughs> Good one. But you do know people that have had the disease and uh, we have a couple at school now who uh, have been diagnosed and we're hoping for the best, uh, you know, but with an a organization as large as ours, uh, with the um, disease spreading, uh, it's considered widespread in uh, Maricopa County where we are. Yeah. 
uh, it's inevitable. And so if we keep turning the crank, uh, eventually what will happen is we unfortunately may very well find out that we know people who have passed away. Uh, and if you look yeah. at the uh, obituaries, we certainly have seen a, a number of famous people in the uh, New York area who have uh, mm-hmm. gotten the disease and died. So uh, uh, it's not quite the same. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Adam Davies last week, so it's not like we don't uh, – it's not like I haven't met anyone who who has yeah. had it. Uh, and that was kind of the point of bringing him on to sort of put a human face in a sense to this. For anyone, I, yeah. I highly doubt anyone who's listening to us after six weeks does think that you and I are, you know, the medical equivalent of flat earthers here. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is this is real, folks. This is fucking real. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It could. But, uh, well, like we, you know, we've been through this before. That, that if we just uh, let the let the brakes off, uh, we could end up seeing with what a real true pandemic killer could do. Uh, but I think that, remember, we're still kind of in the early phase of the first wave, and, and we yeah. hope first and only wave. Um, we, you know, the accounting is not done yet. And, and as we talked about last week, we're only starting to get a handle on the true scope of the death because we've had so many people die who don't really fit the formal diagnosis of the COVID person. They don't have a formal diagnosis, but I think that with time we'll figure out that, yeah, it's highly probable. Uh, So that, you know, even the deaths are not exactly ironclad. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I talked to my friend Josh Cutchin about this uh, over the phone a couple, couple days ago. And he, he, made a great analogy in a sense where he likened to what we're going through right now to the fog of war where we just don't, there's so many unknowns right now yeah. uh, that, that you can, uh, you can, I can understand almost everybody's perspective on this, which is, I just wish, I just wish everybody else had that same attitude. I, I mean, I'm frustrated by some people's perspective on it, but I can kind of understand for the most part, I can put myself in their shoes and understand what they're going through and what, they're grappling with right now. Uh, too many people are, are my way or the highway types, and uh, we need more listening. Yes, uh, but I think you know uh, Cutchin's idea of um, being basically kind of at sea as to what's going on is something that we all need to keep in the back of our mind. Because remember, even the scientific consensus about what's likely or probable or how this agent will act, has, in fact, evolved, which leads to a great deal of frustration. You know, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, there's an element to that, and we have to understand. uh, You know, first no mass, now mass. uh, As we learn, we do better. And the same thing is true with treatment. Uh, You know, we're we're figuring out what the heck is going on, uh, and so there are going to be things that, that... uh, we do that they didn't do before. And uh, it's just the basis of learning, unfortunately, the hard way. But this is something where when we start arguing about um, it's got to be this way or the highway, we have to understand that we don't exactly know where our feet are yet. Right. So we're not quite sure what a step forward really will Right. Entail. We don't even know if we're all on the highway. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, it's frustrating. I'm trying not to be too 
pessimistic, negative, uh, I'm afraid. <laughs> so it's a long time. The six-week long-time listeners are probably like, oh, man, this is... <laughs> this is a this is a bummer uh, of, of an episode, but um, yeah. that's kind of just where we're at right now, folks. I mean, I kind of said this to you a couple weeks ago. I was like, well, I'm worried about what people are going to be like when people are dying by the hundreds. People are going to start cracking up. That's what I said on the show a couple of weeks ago. And when you see some of those people standing in front of the in front of the Capitol building in Michigan. That's, I mean, how much more evidence? People are cracking up. People are cracking up, and I think, no. I, I think a, a big thing was I said last week. Uh, feels like we're kind of settling into some kind of normalcy in this, where at least people are getting their footing. And I think, I don't know. I'm sure you saw the article. It kind of, I think people are just getting worried. They're kind of coming to the realization whether they want to admit it or not that this is. A long-term problem and there was an article that went around and it was kind of misquoted in a lot of ways but it was said something like we may have to the headline was like social distancing may last into 2022 but if you really read the article it was like the the scientists said something along the lines that there could be periodic periods of social distancing through 2022 not that we're going to have to live like this for the next two years but people that 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 statement, that observation or whatever, went viral. I saw it like everywhere, and people really kind of freaked out. And I can understand why if you if you can't be bothered to read the article, because uh, nobody wants to live like this for two years. Believe me, folks. Yeah. I don't even yeah. want to live like this for two fucking weeks. But we we have to do what we got to do. This is yeah. this is kind of the. Therein lies the rub, and if we put the work in now, it'll pay off down the line. If they said if, – I mean, they can't say this because they don't know, but if they said, look it, if nobody leaves their house until June 1st, this thing will be – it'll be gone. It'll be gone by Christmas. You know, we won't, it'll, it'll completely eradicate this thing. Then everybody can get on board, but nobody – we can't tell the future. We don't know what's going to happen, so I think people – they don't necessarily have faith in the process per se. And yeah, then they hear shit like, oh, it's going to last till 2022, and they lose their minds. Rightfully so, uh, what, but you've got to read the what, article. You've got to read the article, but you also have to, to understand that uh, when that is uh, put out there, it may not necessarily mean full-scale total lockdown. It right. may mean some things that we've gotten used to, like large group events, uh, sporting events, concerts, uh, traveling to meetings. For example, uh, those things may be uh, really much more limited than we have ever had in the past, and that may continue for a while. Uh, you know, one of the, the very interesting things is, uh, depending on uh, how we come out of this and, and how other parts of the world come out of it, I, I could see very easily where countries in Europe basically say, oh, yeah, you're from the United States, you want to visit? Two-week quarantine. Yeah. Or, or you don't come at all. And so that may be kind of part of the new normal because I think as China discovered, you get, your, you get ahead of this, you get it sort of under control, you don't want to import new cases. And as we've said before, it's not really controlled until it's under control everywhere. 
and that's that's going to be a long haul. So maybe that's what the person was inferring when they talk about 2021, because it's still going to burn through parts of the world and take a while to do that. And unfortunately, we are globalized, or I guess fortunately, because it helps us economically, but globalization has its own costs and its own risks. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's troublesome. It's troublesome. We're at a very interesting inflection point, I guess you could say, in this entire yeah. process. Um, yeah. You know, I think the first, you know, the, like, go ahead. No, I was going to say that, that we could look at it in a positive light and saying the good news here is that we're now coming out to the point where we can start planning for how we get out of this you know, how right. we're going to basically uh, move forward. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be a particularly politically easy process, but at least we're at the stage where we can sort of see that, okay, well, we can start looking forward to what we do next, what comes next. And so we've gotten that far. You know, and we're not just trying to figure out how to make 10,000 ventilators overnight, something like that. So progress there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh... – that's a good point. Right. We've reached a point now where we have to start talking about what to do about opening up, which is, I guess, a good – that's a good place to be because yes. four weeks ago uh, we had to lock everything down. So now it's a big – like I said, it kind of comes back to that question of, of how, how best to do it. And believe yes. me, if we're sitting here at the end of May – I'll, I'll be the first person to admit if, if I was wrong that, that I was wrong. I'd be like, boy, I was really wrong. It turned out opening up the country on May 1st worked out just fine. So, um, you know, boy, boy, I was an alarmist on that one. You know, I'd love that. I'd love to. I'd love to, I'd love to be look back and say, boy, I was really an alarmist back in the middle of April when all, all that was going down. But no, let's, let's hope that everything I've seen is. so far. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, Tim, because when you talk about um, preventative action, a lot of times, uh, because something didn't happen, it's hard to really assess uh, how valuable that was, you know, after right. the fact. And so it's not unusual for, uh, you know, sort of look back and go, yeah, okay, that maybe we overdid it. I'm not sure that if I was in charge, uh, my bet would be uh, anything that would uh, maybe cause more lives to be lost. I'd be very low to do that as best I could. And I suspect that that is probably where most of our leaders would be, probably are. Yeah. And, uh, and I hope that uh, facts and actions bear that out, that hope out. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. Let's talk a little bit about the the other part, uh, you know, testing, testing, testing. they got to get more tests done. I think every, everybody seems to agree with that. Now, the other thing that everyone's sort of hint, putting, hanging their hat on, pinning their hopes to, I mean, um, is the vaccine thing. Uh, Jim Vujovic, who's a dedicated listener, he's in the chat now, he uh, sent me a question on Wednesday. He's wondering what, what uh, to, you know, for us to talk about. He's wondering what we can expect from a COVID vaccine when one eventually comes. He says last time he talked to his doctor about a regular flu vaccine, uh, the doctor said that there was a 
40% chance that a flu shot would make the flu 10% less severe. That hardly seems worth it, which is why I've never gotten a flu shot, but I'm also not in a high-risk group, although he's pretty much resigned to the fact that he'll be required to get vaccinated at some point uh, because of his job. So he's just wondering if, he has any, uh, if you, Tyler, have any idea what, what kind of effect can we expect from the coming vaccine? And I want to piggyback on, on, on Jim's uh, on Jim's question where even though I heard there's like at least a half a dozen, there's got to be more than that even, uh, we know of the one because they were touting it uh, at the press conferences a few weeks ago, but uh, there's got to be like several um, places that are trying to develop a vaccine. I suppose, I guess to, to piggyback on to Jim's question, is it Everybody makes it sound like, oh, well, once they get the vaccine, everything's going to be fine. But there's no guarantee they can even come up with a vaccine. I mean, they never came up with a vaccine for HIV. They came up with treatments and stuff like that. But there's still no vaccine for that. So, um, is it? I mean, I know they're completely different diseases, and I don't want to do a false equivalency and compare apples and oranges. Um, but I don't know my, I don't know many viruses. Put it that way. Although I guess Dr. Fauci said they developed a SARS vaccine and then SARS vanished, so they didn't even need it. So I guess the point I was trying to make is there's no guarantee we're going to even get a vaccine, right? And if, but if we do, what can we expect from it? It's sort of a two-part question. Uh, take it away, Tyler. Well, what they're, what they're actually doing is uh, kind of running in parallel several different approaches. I think we mentioned one, Moderna where they have an RNA system that they'll uh, basically use. Uh, it could be, in a lot of ways, uh, very nimble and quick. That was one of the reasons that DARPA actually was supporting that type of research. But if we just think like in the standard method, uh, what you would try to do is come up with a way to induce antibodies to uh, what's referred to as the spike protein, or actually maybe a subset of that called the RBD, receptor binding domain. Uh, and that's the kind of the business end of the molecule. And typically, if you can induce antibodies against those spike proteins, the patient is generally protected. This is one of the things that we do against influenza. So the method is, is uh, one that is sort of traditional. Uh, how it will actually be implemented is very interesting. So there are like Moderna's, uh, which is a radically new approach. Uh, there are other ideas about maybe taking the receptor binding domain and splicing it into another uh, vaccine uh, sort of backbone. Uh, and then I don't know what they'll, they'll grow that in. For example, um, influenza vaccines are largely grown in, in embryonated chicken eggs, uh, of all things. But anyway, the, I think that there's a, a strong possibility that we will have uh, a number of vaccine candidates to test they have to be tested. And the reason is that sometimes not only do they not work the way that we want, they're actually a little dangerous. Uh, we've had, um, if you're familiar or some of the listeners are familiar with dengue, dengue virus, uh, sometimes a disease called breakbone fever. There mm -hmm. is, in fact, a vaccine that came out for that, and then it was realized that it did what people were fearful it would do is that it made antibodies uh, that would tend to um, bind but not fully neutralize different serotypes of the virus, which leads to another condition known as dengue hemorrhagic fever, which is a much more severe and dangerous form 
of the disease. And we've right. had we've had little quirks like that before. The first um, vaccine against uh, measles failed. Uh, it's just a, a thing that nobody thought about. You grew up the antigen and you put it in to the uh, the patient. And you induced antibodies, and lo and behold, those antibodies, because of the quirk of how we did it, bound but did not neutralize. And when the patients actually got infected with the real deal, they looked like worse. they had Rocky Mountain spotted fever. It, it, it's called atypical measles. So it's, we can cause all kinds of problems. The testing protocols are going to be time-consuming, uh, but the first thing we have to, to understand is, does it have efficacy? And so not every vaccine candidate necessarily succeeds in knocking out the infectivity of the virus. We can do that. We can figure that out pretty quickly uh, through a, a couple of assays, uh, one called TRNT, which is just looking at how the virus behaves in tissue culture. But we have yeah. um, a, a long road ahead of us for testing. The other thing that, to keep in mind is if we get a good candidate and it looks like it induces solid immunity, we don't exactly know how long that will last. Flu right. only lasts about a year, and it doesn't really matter because the damn virus changes all the time. So it's, it's not like right. measles where you can, you can have a lifetime immunity. Uh, this particular agent, a lot of people think it's going to be on the slippery side. And so it might be a little bit more like the pneumococcus vaccines, which are uh, for bacteria, but same idea is that you'll get them and then you might have to have a booster every five, 10 years, something like that. Or tetanus toxin, for example, every 10 years. You have to remind the body what to, to look out for. Uh, and we're hoping then that the virus itself doesn't change a whole lot. But again, this is something we're going to learn kind of the hard way. And then the final factor is when is it going to come out? Uh, is uh, how will we do it mass producing it? And, and how will we ensure that we get a good quality product to just in the U.S., 300-plus million people, get everybody protected? Uh, that itself is, is a nightmarish logistical problem and yeah. uh, one that we should not underestimate. So we, we may see a phase rollout, uh, you know, high-risk populations first, uh, and those things will have to be determined uh, on the basis of uh, sort of uh, medical, I guess, professionals will have to get together. There's a group called ACIP, and they, they will make recommendations for uh, the use of vaccines and who should get them and when they should be applied. And I'm sure that group will be called upon to, to figure out how we administer this. So anyway, that's for Jim. There's a long sort of road ahead. Uh, and people are working as fast as they can. But as Dr. Fauci pointed out, uh, there are no half measures in medicine. We have to be darn sure that when we shoot something into a person, it's not going to harm them, and there's always an element of risk, and it's going to do something good for them. And this right. is going to take time. So we're, uh, we're hopeful, but again, the, the cold viruses, the cold coronaviruses uh, and rhinoviruses, they're slippery. And we know that we, we don't develop or hold solid immunity for a long time. Nonetheless, uh, we can be optimistic that if we can get uh, something that will render us immune uh, and get enough people involved with it, even if our vaccine is imperfect, it will still be very, very helpful. And we can change the dynamic from a situation where nobody's got immunity 
and, and the virus just does what it wants to something where maybe it just doesn't work as well anymore. And maybe it is a lot more akin to seasonal flu. So we've got a lot of reasons to hope. We have a lot of things going on in parallel. Uh, I firmly believe that we'll see something uh, uh, reasonably good and effective in record time. But don't forget, scale up and distribution is also going to have to factor in there. So it won't be – we may have a vaccine in a year in, in a sense, but we really won't have a vaccine uh, for most of us for uh, a good deal longer than that, in my opinion. And, and I hope, just like we said earlier, hope I'm wrong on that. Yeah, well, I'm like the furthest thing from an anti-vaxxer you can imagine. But even I'm of the opinion, just based on how poorly this entire – uh, situation has has developed and been dealt with, that if they went on TV tomorrow and they were like, oh, we got the vaccine, we got the vaccine, it's almost like what I was saying earlier. I, I think I'm just going to sit back and wait until uh, we know for sure. I, I'm not going to be the first in line to get the vaccine. Let me put it that way. And, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I and I, I, I'll be interested to see who is, I guess. Um, and like I said, I'm not even... I'm I'm the furthest thing from an anti-vaxxer, but this this whole thing has been so so mysterious and and um and peculiar and just weird and it's sort of like I talked to you about before with the senior hours at the grocery store it was like oh, should I let my mom do that because what if it turns out in three weeks they're gonna go oh no that was a terrible mistake um, <laughs> yeah you know who knows so 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 Here far it seems like. It seems like it worked out all right, but then again, I mean, the these these old, I don't know what you call them, retirement homes, old age homes, um, they're being decimated by this. And that's yeah. uh that's that's really and the stuff the stuff that keeps you up at night is when you see that the I I read Steve Wild Steve Ray sent us a link to one of them today. I don't remember the article, but it was something along the lines of they tested uh here it is, universal COVID-19 testing at Boston Homeless Shelter, 35% infected, 0% with symptoms. It's the symptom, yeah. it's the asymptomatic nature of this that I think has compounded the problem and made this whole oh, response absolutely. so difficult. Absolutely. It, it is um, the worst possible situation. Now, one, one question that remains to be answered is, if a person is asymptomatic, uh, and we, they will say something funny, pre-symptomatic, and that means a person who is, in fact, in the course of the disease but has yet to actually show symptoms who will become ill. And when you test them, you don't necessarily know the difference. You kind of have to follow these people with time uh, to, to really figure out who is truly asymptomatic. The $64 million question now is, uh, of the a true asymptomatic cases, which appear to be considerable, uh, how many of them are really good at passing the disease? And so uh, is it uh, uh, possible that they are asymptomatic because the virus just doesn't replicate in them very well? So if they cough or sneeze, they're not releasing all that much. Uh, These are things that we will slowly figure out only over time. And as we get a handle on that, then we can say, yeah, you know what, asymptomatics aren't really the worry uh, if it works out really well. We really need to concentrate on the people who get ill and, and isolate those. That's the key. That's how we're going to break this. But, again, we don't know. 
you know, your, your question about nursing homes, uh, right. just to put this in, into perspective, it is not unusual for a really nasty flu, like the one that we had a couple of years ago, H3N2, to come in and decimate a nursing home. Uh, and one reason, this, this may actually fascinate you, is that even though we know the flu is going to come every winter, we know that for a fact. Uh, right. We vaccinate people against the viruses that we think are going to show up. What we often find is in nursing homes, the attack rates with just the flu, the seasonal flu, can be extremely high, 80% or better. And those are in yeah. vaccinated patients. So as people age, they lose their ability to respond. And so this is the, the thing that um, probably we don't want to talk about right now, but we'll eventually come up with the vaccines, is that for the highest risk population, they may be the ones least able to respond to a vaccine. And so in parallel with the vaccine production and the hope that that gives us, we also will look for things like remdesivir and other uh, antiviral agents that we can apply to hopefully protect the patients that, that couldn't be protected by ordinary vaccination. So we've got a lot of things, a lot of kettles boiling here. And uh, I, I have every expectation that eventually something good will happen. Your question, though, about how many people will be uh, in line for the uptake, it's an interesting one. I, I saw this in 1976, way before you were born. They did swine flu. We thought the swine flu, H1N1, had returned, and uh, it was going to be another pandemic, a horrible pandemic. And so Gerald Ford ordered the national production of the swine flu vaccine and made it available for free for everyone in the U.S. who wanted it. And we all lined up and got our shots, and they suspended the program. What do you mean they suspended the program? They suspended the program. They went out, and we had millions of people lined up. And they got your shot, and you went home, and they had a whole bunch of people drop dead. Oh, no. Yes. Shit. Well, that's exactly why I don't want to take it right away. I'll wait. Well, yeah. It kind of made a dent in the in the enthusiasm, but what what happened was they had to explain that, and the way that uh, people went about it is, um, I think actually um, demographically very true, although uh, kind of hard hearted, is that a lot of people who needed the vaccine were on the elderly side, and many of them had conditions uh, that they probably were not going to live for a long time anyway and the stress of going down to wherever and getting the vaccine, that was enough to push some of them over the line. But the other thing that happened, so they suspended the program. By the way, the virus never showed up. We waited and waited and it never showed up. Uh, Unclear why. And that was anywhere in the world. So They made a huge error, which then came back to haunt us in 2009, when we're trying to come up with a, another pandemic virus vaccine, uh, and they're going, well, yeah, but you guys couldn't call it correctly in 76, so why should we believe you now? Um, the other thing that was interesting is that with the, the swine flu vaccine that was offered in 76, have you ever heard of Guillain-Barre syndrome? No, no. It's, um, it's associated oftentimes with vaccine, uh, flu vaccine in particular, uh, but it, it's a, a paralysis syndrome where the myelinated peripheral nerves get attacked. It's usually young adults, and it can be very profound. 
but it, it can be associated with certain viral infections, influenza being one of them. Uh, it's mm-hmm. considered fairly rare, but uh, the Guillain-Barre syndrome was, that was induced by the receipt of the vaccine, the swine flu vaccine in 76, was the highest vaccine-induced Guillain-Barre syndrome level ever seen. Nothing Jeez. like it before or after. But what it did is it, it took up the vaccine about to what we think is the natural level. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, kind of scary. Um, anyway, there's lots of reasons to, to wonder, you know, how will this really work out? And one of the things that, that might um, interest you is that if there's a rare side effect, a one in 10,000, we discover those when we do the mass use of the agent because we, we can't do big enough trial scale trials to figure that out before we kind of release right. it. And that's, we have a program called the uh, vaccine adverse event reporting system or VAERS. And then as things come in, which can be anything from pain at the site of injection to patient dies, the whole spectrum. We have a clearinghouse to look at that, to figure out if there's a problem and to take action. And if people are injured, there's a vaccine injury compensation board so that if you get paralyzed by a vaccine, you can, you can get some kind of compensation to help you overcome that, that injury as best we can. So uh-huh. we do recognize there's a certain element of danger, and more so with a new agent, a new vaccine. Uh, again, we're going to learn uh, new things, like it or not, and one of them may be that it's hard to make a safe vaccine against this guy. I personally don't think that's going to be a problem, but um, <laughs> that's an opinion. And then, so we'll have to see how that opinion holds up with time. We'll see. Yeah, the vaccine thing is a tricky issue. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely very tricky. Um, yeah. And it's scary. It's scary. And if you think, you know, for you and me, we go in and get the shot. That's one thing. But then imagine taking your child there, or a grandchild, yeah. and uh, and you know you're going to have to make that call. Uh, and we uh, certainly hope that it works for everyone. Uh, but we know that sometimes, uh, like it or not, you could get uh, an infection, a staph infection or a strep infection from the injection. We do everything we can to minimize that. But we can't always control everything. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, uh, as I said, everyone's, a lot of people are pinning their hopes on this. And, uh it's uncertain at some point <laughs> it's to circle back sort of to the idea of 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 um whether we need to end all this and just uh just open up the economy and everything there's a part there's a part that's sort of the part of me that is concerned that we just as a society and, and and this is also in large part because of the economic meltdown that's been uh, a part of this, and I totally, I, again, I understand why people are, are are itching to get back to normal. Um, there is a part of me, and we're seeing this in some media circles, where there's just this push, like like you said with Dr. Oz, saying like, oh, well, to only two to three percent of the children, uh, do you say they would, <laughs> do you say they would die or that they would get the disease? No, that's dead. Jesus. Yeah, I know. There is a that's part of me that. Yeah, it's just a part of me that think, that that fears that as a society 
We're not equipped financially um, with the social safety nets, with the with the with the personal, um, you know, uh, resolve to to endure, um, you know, how, a certain amount much more lockdown, and that we're somehow going to just to say, all right, you know, uh, some of us maybe. <laughs> may be forced into going along for the ride, but there's going to be just this collective, fuck it, let's just, let's go for the herd immunity, you know. Um, whatever, what happens, happens. That, that's kind of my, my concern as I see this debate playing out, that, that it's going to eventually be, we, we can't do this anymore, so the alternative is to, is, is to swing, the, swing the thing in the, wildly in the other direction. Which to me yeah. is madness, but uh, I have that concern because there's certainly people who are saying this. It's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a wild-eyed conspiracy theorist. This is a a perspective taken by many people in the media who who say, let's just roll the dice and see what happens. Um, and and uh, you know, so what if two to three percent of the school children die? That's you know, it's. Uh, as the gruesome old saying goes, one death is a tragedy, a thousand is, is a statistic. There's, yeah. there's a certain, there's a certain uh, gruesomeness uh, to that thinking that's, that's sort of underlying a lot of this. You could, uh, I think, uh, go ahead and, and um, well, obviously a lot of people are proposing that as the route, and you could say there's really nothing that we can do that eventually the virus will go through the community. I mean, you know, but I think honestly, uh, that's kind of the, the pessimistic approach that uh, I have absolutely no doubt that we will, in fact, have uh, potent direct acting antivirals available against this agent in, in the near term, and that we'll have uh, vaccines, several candidates in the near term. Uh, and what we need to do is, in the interim, manage this so that we can spare the largest number of lives possible. And uh, that would be, uh, you know, trying to maintain social distancing where uh, we can't. And as long as, as we can get by with that, uh, we may have to find out what the number is, what the toleration level is for practical reasons. But I would say that, you know, we, we really have reason to believe that we can, we can get ahead of this guy. Uh, and, and, yeah. and so to do, I think that at one point what I was reading was Great Britain was basically going to say, just get it over with, can't stop it anyway. Uh, I don't think that's worked out so well for them. And um, no, I no. thought that I had seen that, was it Sweden, that kind of was resisting doing anything much more than closing schools, and, and they're, they're clearly uh, seeing a surge. But the Netherlands, I haven't heard about the Netherlands. I thought that they were kind of also in an intermediate case, and that seems to be uh, still holding for them. But anyway, um, herd immunity uh, may come, but we don't need to necessarily hasten it because that could be very costly. And that's what I would say is, you know, don't run out there. Don't rush out there. You don't necessarily have to do that. Hold back, you know, try to be patient. And uh, and we may find that we can't do it, that we can't hold back uh, long enough. But I would say as long as we have a chance, give that a, a go before you just say, okay, to hell with it. 
Because I think yeah. that's the that's going to be the least effective uh, in terms of uh, sparing human life that you can imagine. So, yeah, I, I would just I say, think, you know, we haven't seen yep. we haven't seen what this beast can do. You want to see what it can do? Let it roll. Yeah, and, and I think people are going to be really sorry. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? Well, I think too part of the consternation you're seeing in, uh, you know, in America today centers around where a lot of people lost their jobs when this first when the lockdowns and everything first started like a month ago, right? Uh, So a lot of people lost their jobs then. But you're seeing now that this is dragging on that more people are losing their jobs uh, as larger corporations and stuff. They they just got to the halfway point of April and they haven't made any money for a whole month. And now they're laying off people. So it's like another round of uh, the wave of layoffs and furloughs and I think that's that's served to really understandably amp up the stress throughout the country. Yes. yes. So as I said, I, I, I try to get a handle on what the hell's going on with as many people as I can instead of just going, Well I'm fine. I don't know why you're all it's like I can totally understand why people are freaking out. Um big big corporations are laying middle management type people off now and and uh that's that's particularly worrisome that's that's yep. for, uh you know it, it gets the 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 losses become for deeper entrenched in a sense no i think you're right and we have kind of the uh the sort of 800 pound gorilla on the room is what is stress doing to people and and what will it continue to do and so we may see a lot of these manifestations uh, that are actually not really so much to do with the disease, but the stress of everything associated. And job loss is a huge, huge stress, as, as we know. I mean, anybody that's ever been out of work understands what that's like. So yeah. I, would, I would say then the thing that, to watch out for are um, sort of like the apples and oranges rationalizations. Uh, Dr. Oz coming out with the, you know, just outrageous statement of, well, yeah, maybe, maybe all those little kids die. Okay. They took one for the team, but things like, well, you know, we have uh flu and we don't stop the country for that. And we have uh, a lot of people die of car wrecks and um, smoking kills, all those things. We don't stop the nation. This coronavirus is an infectious highly transmissible disease, very unpredictable, okay, and very, very adept at expanding itself, as you've seen, astronomically. Yeah. You know, for the most part, those other instances are not particularly contagious. Flu is the closest analog, but we have not allowed influenza to have free reign here for 70 years. We vaccinate people. We have a large cadre of people who every year are vaccinated. Sometimes those vaccines don't work as well as we want. But we also have some antiviral agents and strategies that work against the flu to keep people alive. We don't have that with coronavirus. 
So we're talking about something that is in a class by itself, and it has, it is spiking the death rate right now. That's that's a warning sign about what what the dangers are here. So I, you absolutely, know, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're trying to to move people to a position of saying, yeah, this is this is ridiculous, and I'm just going to tell you, no. In my opinion, not so ridiculous, and you don't really want to make a mistake here uh, in terms of um, relenting too soon. But maybe we'll lose that argument, Tim. You know, pol- you know, political decisions can go uh, either way, and and maybe for good reason we'll lose that argument that we just simply can't live unless we're willing to absorb some of these losses. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to that, but maybe it will. Right. Well. I think we'll look back on these next – we're going to look back on this whole period as a, an incredibly historic learning experience for – you know, hopefully we do learn from it. Uh, but we're at a critical juncture, as I said. We're at an inflection point now um, to see uh, where we're sort of a uh, how do you cross the bridge situation or a fork in the road in a way. And, yeah, you know, it may end up being that way, that we – that this may go in a direction we don't want it to go in politically or whatever. Um, but we got to ride it up. We got to go. We, we didn't have any choice in the matter in the first place, whether this thing yeah. would show up or not. And I know a lot of people, yeah, lots of people play number, play games with statistics and stuff like that. And I don't have the thing in front of me. And I apologize folks. Um, and this was probably based on sort of annual, I'm guessing this was based on annual numbers, prorated. Um, but somebody said I saw on Twitter, which is always a great a great source for information, <laughs> factual information. So there's your there's your disclaimer. But but that to date, coronavirus at like thirty something plus thousand people dead is now the, the second leading cause of death in America. Um, like I said, that's probably broken down. You take the annual thing and break it, you know, lung cancer or cancer or whatever. You divide it up by so many months, and that's how many it would be through this point. Now, I, I presume that's how they derive the number, but I can't say for sure. But it it said that, you know, it was only behind heart disease. So it's heart disease, yeah. then coronavirus, then, then car accidents, then, you know, cancer and um all the other stuff, flu. My, so my the people who are like, oh, this right. is seriously. It's like this is this this is by some wonky statistic I found on Twitter. The, the second <laughs> the second leading cause of death in the country. So you can understand where, where I'm concerned about it. Well, I think you know you're, you're right that they, probably what they did is if you look at it, um, what are we into now? Uh, Sixty days in terms of when the first case appeared as to where we are now with coronavirus. What you see is if you, if you look at it, say, over the year, uh, influenza, for example, will spike the death rate if it's a bad flu season, and it will drop back down. And most of those deaths will be January, February, and March. And then we'll get back to kind of normal, and it will sort of fall under those guys. So I'm sure if you take a look at a narrow enough time frame, yeah, this thing is potent, and it's coming right up there. The question that we have to answer now is, how long will that curve, how long will that death rate curve be sustained? 
and much depends on uh, how we act and the decisions we make in terms of uh, social distancing and what we uh, allow to open up uh, in terms of businesses and uh, commerce. Uh, so it, it, um, it can range from, yeah, it's pretty bad, to we'll get it back under control, uh, to, uh, ooh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a nasty little sucker that's going to be with us for a while. And uh, I think a lot of people will act accordingly, that they won't go to ball games, they won't go to concerts, they won't behave as they did, they won't go to restaurants until they're really sure. And that's, that's where maybe testing, and, and I, only, I have to say maybe will help convince people that it's safe to come out again. It's going, it's going to be a long-haul recovery. This ain't a light switch. This is a slow dawn. Yeah. I think that kind of hit home with a lot of people uh, this week, maybe over the last 10 days. Like I said, it felt like people were settling into, what. okay, this is the situation we're in. Um, and, and, and when that – I told you about the 2022 article that came out, and it's kind of just been – people now are, are sort of – they've come to grips with what has happened and are trying to figure out what will happen next. And not to pat us on the back, but I feel like at least we – we were we are, had gotten through that first stage, but when we decided to do a podcast about, about what the hell was going on here, yeah. um, so the the uh, good portion of the country's caught up to kind of where we were at six weeks ago, and to them, I think they're coming to grips with the idea that look, they're not gonna when they canceled the when they stopped the NBA season in mid in mid March a month ago. I mean, the idea was pretty much that everything would be back to normal. I mean, that was kind of the – everyone kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge was like, yeah, oh, you know, it'll be like this until like the middle of May, and then, and then everything will be fine. And I think it's kind of dawned on everybody over the last week or so that it's not – they're not going to like pack 10,000 people in an arena to, to watch the NBA. Um a lot of you know they're not going to when the football comes back they're not going to pack a hundred thousand people in these football stadiums in September. I just don't I just don't believe that they're going to be able to, uh, and I think that's intolerable to some people. The idea of this of this dystopian sort of situation is intolerable, and that's part partly what's kind of causing this this push and pull that we're seeing play out in the national debate. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, so, again, we hope for a good outcome, but uh, the only thing that's in our control is, is sort of our behavior. And uh, I wish it wasn't so. But I agree with you that probably a lot of people uh, have realized this sucks. And I, I don't like it. And in that, we're yeah, all united. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, wow. Tyler, you have, what brings- you have, you have out every man to me. And that's. <laughs> <laughs> The wow. student, the student has learned from the master. Yes, that's exactly what people are saying. Ah, this sucks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I think a lot of people are like, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. That's that's yeah. what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing on the on the capital of, of Michigan and Minnesota. Um, you know, this sucks, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. And. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Right, so yeah. look it, you're gonna have to fucking take it, folks. This is how it's gonna be. You can't, no, ma- no matter, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I do worry about like armed insurrection and stuff like that. Can we just, 
<laughs> Can we all just chill the fuck out and 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 take a deep breath and just go home and watch your Netflix at least for the weekend, folks? And yeah, and we'll we'll yeah. all get back to fighting about this on Monday. Okay, but let's, uh, let's do the math on the armed insurrection. Okay, just yeah. just for a second, let's go through that. So let's say that um, one of us is very very upset that uh, you know things aren't opening up. So I, I load up my AK-47, and then what? <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? Right, right. Okay, I mean, there's no... Yeah, yeah. Here, you know, so uh, uh, I, that's not to say that, that bad things can't happen, and, and, uh, and I hope that it doesn't. You know, I hope that people aren't so uh, incensed that they, they stop reasoning. But I, I don't think that we're quite at the Red Dawn moment yet and uh, I think honestly if there's anything to look out for if you want to leave people with a really hopeful um, feeling is that we will bring this to heal we have the technology it's just it can't be applied instantly but there will be just like we we have uh, almost I think vanquished hepatitis C with these direct acting antivirals and how we've yeah. taken HIV from a death sentence and turned it into something that people can live a decent life with for decades. We will get this guy. We will get it. We will get it under control. And I, I think it'll be way before 2021, 2022, I should say, way before. But um, in, the, in the interim, what I'd say is to people, you know, don't let your emotions make you do something that you'll regret even more. Yeah, exactly. Well, like Chris Penny was saying, uh, you wind up arrested by doing something dumb in protest, and next thing you know, you're in the jail, and you and you yeah. and you've got the coronavirus. And so, you're yeah, yeah. Did you, you saw you saw Penny was way ahead of this, right? With and the he, jail, he was yeah. talking about been on top yeah, of the jail story big time. Detention camps, all this stuff, and it, it's slowly filtering out. It's stuff that, of course, nobody really wants to talk about but now we're starting to see uh i think michael cohen it was announced that his sentence oh yeah they let him out of jail yeah yeah and uh and you know and i think for people that that uh clearly aren't dangerous or whatnot that um maybe they can come up with ways to um try to uh limit uh the problem but boy yeah chris was really right this this is something where we just don't have much hope in these, in these situations that we're going to um, have it do anything other than what it wants to do. That, that's sad. Yeah, well, we're seeing that. We talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, how this has all these little tributaries and stuff. And, like, Steve shared that link, and I'm hearing about it in New York City, too, where – and this is – again, this is a this is a, a sad picture – of our system in a way because we've spent the last month concerned about saving everybody and making sure we do our best uh, to flatten the curve and everything. And now it's like, oh, shit, we forgot about the homeless people. I know uh, some people didn't, obviously, um, yeah. but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, now you're seeing this where it's like, oh, no, no one, no one bothered <laughs> I I joked. I don't know if it was on this show. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, 
that I joked about it on Facebook. I was like, "Who's has anyone alerted the Amish to this? There's all these. No. They, someone has, for what it's worth. Uh, someone has alerted the Amish to the situation, and they are being tested. So, uh. Uh, but but the homeless again. It's uh, and I'm sure there were people who were who were crying out about this uh, in 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 person and online uh, at shelters and, and in other places advocacy groups and stuff who were saying, hey, don't forget about the homeless. But that's we're only hearing about those folks now. And, and it's a lot like yeah. what Chris was doing with the jails. And even, you know, it's hee-hee-hee, laugh-laugh. Uh, it was kind of what I was getting at with uh, Steve Ray last week. The, uh, like folks like sex workers and stuff. That's They're, they're a part of society, folks. You can't... You can you can pretend like they don't exist and ignore them, but everybody is impacted by this, even even the sex workers. So all these tributaries yeah. are impacted by this in in ways that we don't even think about, or at least we didn't initially think about. Yeah, and if we don't, uh, this is one of the things we've got to communicate and uh, bring in a lot of different thoughts. Because if I had a list of, of a thousand things to think about, I wouldn't have put sex workers on the list, you know, and yet, just like you say, <laughs> but wait, but wait, you know, there's, this is an industry and there's a lot of people out here who are kind of on the cutting edge of infectious disease all, all the time, uh, you know, that uh, you need to consider this because again, we're not safe until everybody is safe. It's that right. simple. Now, speaking of safe, We'll pivot here to the lighter aspect of the show, which is quarantine update. So I've got some updates on some of my adventures in quarantine, and we'll find out if anything's new with you. So I have an update on the gas station. Oh. I went back to the gas station, uh, I want to say last Sunday, and they have they, – they have uh, – it's hard to explain, but like you know how they have like like I guess let's we'll just call it a sheet a giant sheet of plastic, like hard plastic, like the kind you put on 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 a desk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as a as a yeah, sort of cover. Sure. Okay, all right. That's like the best way to describe it. A hard uh, sheet of plastic. So <laughs> they had they had jerry rigged a hard sheet of plastic. Probably I don't even know what using what ropes. Um, it certainly wasn't like professionally installed. I wouldn't be surprised if it was done by one of the workers in, in protest. But they have added a uh, they have added a giant plastic sheet that sort of goes down to about the midsection of of the gas station attendant, and they and they now wear gloves. So someone told them about the coronavirus. Well, good. Yeah, that was good. I wish I took a picture of this. Now I went. I've been out too much. I got to back up on the on the. I did go to another store today, a little convenience store, kind of check in on the people. It's like an old mom and pop convenience store. I want, wanted to make sure they were doing all right, and obviously I needed cigarettes, so uh, <laughs> I killed two birds. Kill, kill two birds with one stone. And and so I went to that place. This place was intense. They they had like bagged off the entire 
uh, clerk area with um, almost not like dry cleaning bags, but like a, like a hard pla- like a like the soft sort of flexible plastic you put clothes in in a bag and you stuff it under a bed kind of thing. Sure, sure. Uh, they had encased the whole register area with that and had signs you couldn't they had a sign on the front door said mask you can't come in without a mask i was actually really impressed i was like holy shit these these folks are they're taking this pretty serious here um yeah and you, you had to do all your business like that sounds like you're going to the bathroom but you had to you had to buy your stuff everything kind of went through this little hole in the in the giant plastic bubble. It was unreal. I wish I took you a picture of it. And uh, if I go back there anytime soon, I'll ask them and take a picture because it was, that was the best one I'd seen. And then at the liquor store, they had also gone with the jerry-rigged plastic, hard plastic barrier thing. Also looking like it was kind of homemade. So that's... yeah. I guess that's the update. I've been to three stores in the last week, and all three have varying degrees of intensity uh, this plastic shield for their workers, which is great, which is advocated for on the show. Uh, And they've been doing it at, at grocery stores everywhere. But it was sort of this really... Because I've joked with you, how am I going to enter re-enter the world after this <laughs> lockdown? It's going to be a whole different world. Now they're telling grocery stores you have to go, in, you have to go in one direction down the aisle. Have they done this in Arizona yet? No, I haven't seen that. It'll come to and Arizona. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. It'll come to Arizona. Yeah, you got to walk down one, one way down the aisle. Um, but yeah, but yeah that was idea. sort of it was a culture shock for me because it's like I haven't really left the house in a month, and even the little times I do, they're stretched out by like ten days to two weeks between when I go back to anywhere, and, and now this latest round of visits, it was the whole. It, it just seemed like everything has now transformed into into this situation, in, in, you know, into, in response to the situation. Yeah, yeah. Do you suppose that uh, what you're seeing is the municipality coming to places and saying, you really need to do this? Or is it more of the individual business that says, we really need to do this? I think it's the individual business. There wasn't any mandated thing in town here. Okay. Yeah, I I haven't sensed that we've gotten that, but I have seen more of the grocery store workers with uh, masks and gloves and and uh, protective equipment as best as best they can find it too. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's not not available uh, widely for anybody. You know, there's a shortage. But um, yeah, you know what though, we probably discovered Tim that what's going to kill you will be your vices. Oh yeah, that's we've we've known that since the first episode. Yes, that you will you will go out and unwittingly touch the plastic sheeting that has the COVID virus plastered onto it by 5 million customers who have been there before you. Touch your eye on the way home and you will die. How dare you, Tyler? I am, you've seen my Flat Earth, you've seen my Flat Earth Warrior ensemble, which I wore today when I went out. So I have no gloves, mask, Flat Earth hat, sunglasses, fucking, there's no, 
you know, talk about coronavirus immunity. Jesus, I'm knocking. I'm going to knock on wood on that one. Too. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. As, that's as close as you can get to fucking being immune. So uh, now best. we got a caller on, on who wants to come on. I don't know who it is yet, but six one four area code. Hold on tight, one moment. I want to also just add an update because uh, I've got a lot of people asking here in the chat room for an update on the stovetop situation. Oh, which yeah. Which was the big, yeah, see? You're supposed to remember these things. <laughs> Thankfully, now we have super fans who are clamoring for an update on the stovetop. There's a twist. There's a twist to the stovetop story that even I didn't see coming. So we, along with the stovetop, was a, an, a, a stove hood, which is like the metal thing that goes over the stove with the lights, you know, maybe a fan. Um, so they're supposed to be put in together at the same time. We open the stove top. It's great. It's ready to go. We open the hood and it's all dented and bent and, and ruined uh, essentially. Uh. Yeah. So we got call Lowe's. They come, they take away the stove, the, the, the hood. And now they're mailing the hood, a uh, new hood to, to us. So. That's pretty much it, yeah. So we got to wait for the hood to come. Then we got to bring the guy in to install. So we had to okay. hit pause on the stovetop installation. It was going to happen. It was close. It almost happened Wednesday, but then we discovered the hood damage, and, uh, yeah, everything yeah. went to shit. So when the, the lowest so. person, did they come to the house to actually look at the, the hood, or how did that go? We just stuffed it back in the box. We called Lowe's. They told us what to do. We stuck okay. it in a box, and they came and took it away. So okay. I assume that, like, when they brought it to wherever it goes, they opened it and saw that it was damaged. Um, yeah. You know. I can't. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to meet the people who would lie about that. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. So. Oh, I, I imagine they're very, Lowe's is very disgusted because that's a dead loss to them you know i mean they've wasted time they've got an irritated customer uh, yeah it was they're, pretty, they're pretty pissed yeah they don't, they don't like this at all so but at least the good news is they uh they took care of you yeah exactly now i do i have another uh i'll set everybody up for another cliffhanger here for next week um i had to I got to cancel all my plans for the end of April. I was going to fly down to Austin for our annual Paramania event. Uh, we canceled that like two weeks ago, but I still got to go through the hassle of figuring out what's going to happen with my plane ticket to Austin. So I'll probably try and do that this weekend. So that's your cliffhanger for next week. What what, what happens when you try to change your plane ticket in this uh, in this coronavirus world? Oh, I know. What's that? They're probably going to make me get a ticket for later in the year, and I'm still not going to be able to use it. Yeah, it's like a, a credit. Um, we had uh, some uh, travel planned and, and basically did the same thing, and so we just kind of rolled it forward. Uh, yeah. But uh, I imagine each each individual airline is probably a little different. And this was uh, international, which is, is uh, even more complex. 
So, but you know, they they understand. Uh, I think they're, they're they're doing their best. Uh, I I think you'll have a good outcome, Tim. And and then next week you I can tell so. me like, no, you were an idiot, and so therefore I I discredit everything that you ever said. And so, I, <laughs> I'm, but uh, I think you should be. Well, helpful. we'll see. I think. No, I think I I can almost predict what the problem is. I'm going to be on here next week complaining about how I was on hold for four hours this weekend <laughs> trying to get the thing changed. Um, all right, well, let's bring on the caller here in the 614 area code. Hopefully uh, hopefully they, they come in peace. 614, what's going on? Uh, you're on the air here with uh, the BOA coronavirus special report with Benal and Tyler Coach on. Hello, Tim. Hello, Dr. Coach on. Hey. Hello. I come in peace. It's Mr. Owl. Who's Mr. Owl? I, well, we were uh, somewhat associated. Uh, ah, damn, it must have been like six years ago or something. Jesus Christ, this but sounds anyway, terrifying. It's not Are you here terrifying. to collect a debt? <laughs> no. It kind of feels like it, but I apologize for the short bus photo on your uh, your forum. I couldn't help myself. The short bus. I'm sorry. Photo. What? Short bus. Tour bus photo. No short. Okay. Never mind that now. Okay, you guys were Is that talking like an old about story Brazil? from back in the day. Yes, Tim. It's a long time ago. What was, was your on, name uh, on the What was your name on the forum? Uh, Mr. Owl. Oh, okay. I think I vaguely remember you. I don't. Oh, vaguely. Life goes on. Well, People stop using listening. forums. Oh, I'm That's sorry. I, I should hope so because they suck. But at any rate, um, go back and listen. They're all free listening. in the archive. Well, I did. I listened to all of them, and um, a few days ago, it occurred to me that you're probably putting out some content, and. Uh, so I started listening to it, and it was weird because it started about four weeks ago, and you guys are like, "Oh, well, there's like 500 deaths," and then like the next show, "Oh, well, that you know, ten times that, etc." Watching the progression was extremely, uh, or listening to the prog- progression was very interesting. But you did uh, talk about Brazil at one point. Talk about what Brazil? Yes, Bra- yes. Brazil, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. we did. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, let me give you some in, uh, insight into that. All right, the numbers are... are you down in Brazil, or you, where, where's this insight coming no, from? No, no, but but my ex-wife is Brazilian, my son's half Brazilian. Okay, and, so you're following the story. Well, more than following it. Um, uh, let me see. You're invested in it. I think it was, for, it was like March 12th. Uh, her father was found dead. She oh. couldn't get a hold of him for like a yeah. And and uh, it's it's summer there, or they're coming out of summer, right? It's opposite. So your ex father in law is dead. Yes. He was found in the bathroom of uh, her house down there, and he had been there for like a week. Oh geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's summer. Um, oh man. Oh, yeah. Ouch. 
apparently he was unrecognizable. Um, and this is from the coronavirus? This man. It's hard to say. So now that they're coming out and saying, well, it looks like this may have emerged in September. Did you see that, Dr. Dr. Cochon? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah that now there's some virologists coming out and saying it looks, they're looking at markers, uh, coronavirus A, B, and C, and how it was distributed across China and Europe, and who got what, when, et cetera. Jesus. Now it's looking at like some of the people in Wuhan had B, which came later. Oh, interesting. Um, We've talked about these different strains. Only time will show, tell, yeah. but yeah, some of this yeah, stuff is yeah. so messed up. So I wonder. Uh, that was in Porto Alegre, Brazil, which is the southernmost mm-hmm. state. It's the tex- it's the Texas of Brazil, as they say. Okay. And is that really a compliment is. or insult? Oh, it is a compliment, man. I, I know. I'm just teasing you. I'm just the, teasing you. I'm no, teasing I'm you, and I'm teasing the, the folks in Texas listening. There's even a restaurant here called Texas Day Brazil. And if they ever open up again, uh, I'll be, like, knocking down the door. But it makes you So wonder. what's going on down there in Brazil? The president down there seems like he's really exactly. not interested he's in a this. fucking tool, but then we're looking at the governors and the governor of Rio Grande do Sul, the southernmost state, the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But, uh, three weeks ago, they were an open revolt. Oh, is that right? Oh, oh. yes. Oh, you wow. guys were talking about this, and I was like, man, I've got to call in and, and something about it because I, I don't have the big picture or anything else, but I can only imagine what's going on. They're entering the flu season now. Yikes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's got potential to be really horrible. That's what I'm well, saying. Well, it's interesting. Coach, Coach John is that they're – the southern hemisphere, we haven't seen anything yet. Really? Yeah. Australia doesn't count. Yes. It's going to be. Well, we talked a, a little bit about concern. that, Tyler, uh, the, the tropical weather yeah, and we stuff were, like that. We mentioned that. But that's uh, the thing is, Rio Grande do Sul really isn't tropical. I've been there in August, and it's, you know, it, it in fact, in Rio Grande do Sul, it's the only state. In Brazil, where it snows. Oh wow! It's in the mountains. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's in the mountains, but dude, it's shitty. It's basically like it's just a long cold winter for like four months. That's not that great. I've I've been, and they don't have central heat. I've been in a house there, uh, you know, for weeks on end. Uh, no central heat. Uh, it's raining. Like here in Columbus, Ohio, it's raining and cold right now. It probably won't be in a few days. But it reminds yeah. me of there, you know. So I mean, we're basically looking at uh, I, uh, Dr. Cochon. We're looking at something. Oh, I think so. Yeah, and we I, I would be accurate figures. That's the problem. Yeah, when this when well, this it's interesting. I think. Place, base... Go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead. Well, I think Sao Paulo, which is a giant city. It's in there, you know, um, and I think it, it's inevitable. I hope that they're going to take it seriously. And then thing is about Sao Paulo is it does stay, you know, relatively pleasant, uh, subtropical. I've been there. Uh, you should see it from the air. 
it's it's ridiculous. It is so big that it it dwarfs anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this yeah. is a true mega city. Well, it's interesting. I love it there, but I mean, with Rio Grande do Sul and like Santa Catarina, just to the north and whatnot, I don't know. I just it doesn't look good. No, 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 it doesn't. Now I've been trying to say this for a while, so shut up, you two. Uh, (laughs) 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 It's interesting. That what you're describing in Brazil is similar to kind of what we're seeing here in America, where not so much there's this uh, anti there's already this anti globalism bent, but it's like we ha- we're dealing with a whole different situation, a federalism issue now, where uh, as this as this disease takes hold in different communities and stuff like that, it's like all it's like the old expression, all politics is local. We're seeing that kind of now where states uh states are taking it upon themselves to deal with this because it's difficult for the for a giant federal government to manage this problem in all in all these different jurisdictions which are so wildly different across the country. So, you know, you've got your exploding situation in New York City. You've got hot zones in other areas. You've got places that seem to be simmering and about to build, you know. So each place, and there are places where nothing's happened yet, relatively. And and it's hard for for one governing body to manage something like that. And when we point to places, well, I mean, there's yeah, the size difference between us and, like, France and Europe and England and all those countries, the size difference is yeah. astronomical. And, we're t- and we've seen yeah, this and now with Russia. Russia's having problems now because of just the sheer size. It's absolutely enormous, but it's so spread out. But the thing about Brazil, uh, uh, you seem to intimate that uh, a few weeks ago that Brazil was the size of, I don't know, New Hampshire or something. Brazil and, is I, that is no, 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 no. I don't think that at all. Brazil's huge. Insane. No, it's bigger than the entire continental United States. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive. And sure, a lot of that is just like you know carbon sink, known as the Amazon and whatnot. But I mean, Jesus Christ! Uh, I mean, I can only imagine the carnage. At this point, and we should probably—I should probably be heading down there within the next year. It's gonna be—it's scary as fuck. Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely worrisome. There's there's got to be more optimism here, but there, with the way things are set up and the governments and whatnot. I don't think anything will break the spirit of the Brazilian people. But these fucking, I mean, there's so much corruption. Yeah, it's and pretty scary down there. And chicanery going on that I can't, I, I'm just like, I, I wonder if my ex is even thinking about it. I doubt she can. She, uh, what, leaving there? Her, uh, father, no, even deal with it. She's got properties on it and everything. She attended yeah. her uh, father's funeral on WhatsApp. 
Yeah, I was saying that to somebody the other night. That's one of the things that really – I said something else keeps me up at night, but the one thing that really terrifies me is that, that, that idea that if you if someone you love dies, you're pretty much – you don't even get to say goodbye to them. You drive them to the hospital, they bring them no, in, and no, Tim, you wait and by the phone the to see what happens if you're, exactly. if you're lucky. And that is exactly. – and then if and they die, you never even get to – it's a horrifying – just – He's Terrible. Talking about taking my son, I was like, "You can't leave the country. I'll stop you. You can't leave. You will be put in quarantine." Hmm. Well, what and are you doing thought, to protect yeah. yourself, Mister Owl? What's your quarantine situation? Well, I have to go to work. Yeah. And it's funny you should ask because I've been listening to what you're doing, and I go to work, and nobody's doing social distancing or anything. They're not taking it very seriously at all. And I can't help but think that at some point in the not-too-distant future, the people in charge are going to be held accountable. And it's just like I'm watching it. Everybody wants to keep their jobs and whatnot. Yeah. And I'm like, this is – yeah. Oh, we've got uh, Dr. Acton, and we've got these, like, new, like, uh, older women and lab coats. They're like the new sex symbols. Right? Yeah, she's fucking hot, dude. Um, and basically she's saying if you, if you don't feel well, you know it. Don't go out. But I'm here in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, it's lackadaisical at best. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it, it feels more and more like it's a situation that doesn't seem real unless it really no, but I don't think impacts, your, impacts your community. Tim, it's not sustainable. Eventually, people are just going to be like, eh. You know? And yeah. I'm pretty sure no, that's what we were saying I already earlier. got it a few weeks ago. No, I, dude, I already got this goddamn thing. There are a lot. Uh, Tyler, I was, yeah, somebody brought this up in the chat, and it's uh, it's worth talking about. There are, a lot, I, there are lots of people who think that they had it already. And that's, again, you it know, goes I'm back to this cool. testing thing. It goes It goes back to the testing thing that until we know who's had it, who could get exactly. it? Until we know these basic the questions, it's difficult for me to get on board with any plan to reopen the country, or at least in, well, the, in yeah, a grand it, scale, let's say. Yeah, because we don't have a, 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 um, it, we need some sort of screening process. Exactly. The country? Are, you fuck, are you fucking kidding me? I talked to my doctor today. And I said, do you have the antibody test? And they laughed. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? This is, a, this is Ohio. Yeah. Our governor was uh, at least a week ahead of everybody else here. Yeah, he was one and of the sharpest of the governors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because when I went to my GM and said, hey, uh, the governor just extended a spring break <clears throat> to three weeks. You know what he said? What? Uh, oh, yeah, I know. And then when I said no, DeWine just had a press conference, and he said, DeWine? Right then, I would knew I was in trouble with this person. Yeah. You know. So, basically, we're looking at fallout that's going to extend for months. Um, yeah, it seems that way. Test, 
Gosh, it just wasn't in place. I mean, it's nobody's fault, really. I mean, it all comes down to infrastructure. And basically, all they were asking us to do here in Ohio is pause for two weeks, give our medical infrastructure a chance to... And we did very good here. It could have been far worse. We've got three major cities just in this state. Dr. Cochon, what do you think? What do you think, Tyler? And then we got to head toward uh, the end of the show here because we only got about 10 minutes left. Sorry, Mr. Sure. No, you're fine. I, I, you know, the, the question about a lot of people thinking that they've had it, it will be very interesting when the antibody tests come out to see how far That's it right. extends and, uh, and how sneakily it spread before anybody knew. Because we still, you know, we, we, we saw the cluster of cases first in, in China, but we're really hazy on the origins. We've had some more arguments about that this week in the, in the news. Yeah, Absolutely. I have that on my notes yeah. here. And now they're kind of doing the genealogy on uh, the genome. Yes. Yes, very helpful. It's very interesting. No, no, I, I, it, was, it was like the flu. When you've got a bad flu and you feel it in your chest and everything is disgusting, smells disgusting, is disgusting. Um, I used to joke years ago and call it the old man because it smells like an old man's air conditioner who smokes Marlboros all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, even my ex would be like, I've got the old man. And I'm like, oh, fuck. It was the old man, but he wasn't from here. Just let me put it yeah. that way. Yeah. It was fucking gross. I yeah. kicked it in about seven days, but you know you I've go. got a, I've I've got a stronger constitution. I can see this really fucking somebody up. And Jim, oh yeah, yeah, there are a lot of I vulnerable people out there. Yeah, you're a smoker. smoker. Oh yeah. Oh, you're a smoker. Oh, see, Tyler, yeah. I found an article. I sent this to Tyler. Some some crazy ass somewhere. I think in France said that smokers might be immune to coronavirus, and I was like, ah, I'm beginning to think that they're right, because uh, the stress levels through the roof, I know you're smoking like a chimney, because I can hear you cough. Uh, mine sounds almost exactly the same. Yeah, uh, man, I'm under a lot I'd of stress I'd like to here. quit, but you're like, I'm going to fucking quit right now. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nobody goes on a diet around Christmas, right? That's the... No, when they say. When they say yeah, when they say you're at high risk for dying, now now stop now stop doing that thing that's hey, that keeps your guys, stress from I going through say, the roof. I, your the shows have been great. This is fantastic. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I think I think some people have been enjoying them. Uh, they're they get they're a little dark. No, I mean, funny. It just occurred to me a few days ago. I was like, I bet Tim doing something. I went in there and there's like ten hours of shit. Yeah. Uh, so, and it was interesting to watch the progression. I was like, this is like step by step. It was weird. It's weird. Yeah, I, I uh, someday I look forward to looking back now, on these shows and, and feeling uh, and seeing yeah, how, how it was. Like, holy crap. Because there was this ex- exponential, and then Dr. Cochon is like, well, yeah, it's probably going to be about 10,000. He was probably trying to be conservative the whole time. And I sensed that he was. And I've listened to all the other shows you've done with him, too. So, I mean, yeah. Dr. Cotron, you're awesome. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. 
Thanks. There you go. All right, Mr. Rowell, I got I got to bid farewell to you because we got a couple more points to go. We're almost out of time, so thank you for calling in. Feel free to call in next week or or in the future on future shows. And thanks for catching up on the old on the archive on these. Thanks for calling. Guys, take care of yourselves. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. Good night. There you go. That was fun. I like taking calls. Uh, Interesting perspective on Brazil. And uh, Absolutely. Uh, the situation yeah. down there. So, yeah, yeah. So the listeners have, have been adding quite a bit over the over the course of the As show. They As they do. As they do. Folks in the chat room, Jim Vujovic, Chris Pinio, Miriam Hamlet, they're throwing a lot out there as well. Now, Miriam asked, well, we talked about this in a past show, and it got worse, this, well, it got more worrisome, let's say, uh, this week, because there was, like, reports out of Korea that maybe – uh, South Korea, South Korea. God only knows what's going on in North Korea. I don't even want to imagine. But the reports out of South Korea that, like, the idea of automatic immunity, even Fauci said that, you know, we can't be 100%. We don't know for certain that if you get it and then you're fine, you know, afterwards you're fine. So um, have you been following up on this at all? What's the latest? I mean, we don't really necessarily know anything, but uh, it seems now like the whole idea, the whole idea that like your guaranteed immunity is not exactly, um, not exactly a sure thing. It, it could be, Tim. Uh, there's reasonable hope that, uh, in fact, people will have protective antibodies. I don't know if you remember we talked about perfusion from people who have survived, who are type matched to somebody who's going through the illness now. Uh, that um, plasma from those folks. Uh, does seem to help the other ones recover, which then we infer actually means that uh, there's some immunity. And that's, that's a pretty uh, uh, hopeful sign because uh, remember the, the virus itself is going through stages and waves in the person. And so that when they're seriously ill, the virus has been cooking in them for a while. And to be able yeah. to kind of bring them back from the brink by just perfusing the antibodies, uh, suggests that uh, there's a potent immunity going on. But those, con- those reports, and, and it's more than just Korea, uh, are, are very concerning that uh, some people are infected more than once, it seems. Now, some of that could be vagaries of testing. You know, you really have to kind of work this out. Uh, but the other possibility is that um, this virus or clades of the virus are more elusive than others. And, that, boy, I hope we don't see that where we have right. different sorts of substrains or something going on. But, again, uh, it's stuff that we have to watch out for. Right now, I, I'm hopeful that we will have uh, something that will go after the spike protein, the receptor binding domain of that specifically, uh, and that um, has limited ability to bury because it still has, the virus still has to attach to us. And so I, I, I think we should be hopeful that we will have antibodies that will neutralize uh, but we do have to keep our eyes open because these RNA viruses are slippery and, and they do yeah. mutate and they do change. Uh, measles doesn't have the ability to change very much. It's another RNA virus. Uh, it's kind of trapped, but not all of them are. And so, you know, it, it, uh, I remember a few years back, a guy told me, we're talking about vaccines. He said, yeah, we got the easy ones, Tyler. <laughs> now we're coming across the ones that are a little tougher, a little more slippery. Right. So anyway, well, yeah, the other, I've seen those, and we wonder, you know, we have to keep an eye on it. Yeah, that's worrisome. 
you know how I feel about that. If if we don't have well, the automatic yeah, immunity, we got to really rethink everything. Give, give us to worry about, you know. Don't worry, we'll jump on it. But uh, yeah, there's there's plenty here. There's, there's plenty of things that are not clear, and we'll um, just clarify only what's past the time. Yeah. Um, now the other story that came up this week that got a lot of attention uh, as we head towards the end here was that the it seemed now that like the opinion is shifting where well, we talked about this way back on the first episode because I was like ah could that really have come from a dude eating a bat and while it could have <laughs> now it seems yeah. like some of the more conspiracy minded people may have been right where now it there's a lot of talk that this may have been uh, an, uh, an inadvertent escape of a virus from a lab in, in Wuhan. I'm sure you've yeah, seen think, this coverage. This has been a big story. No, no. I, I, and we, we went over that. And, and certainly if we take the situation with SARS as a model, and it's not an unreasonable model, uh, I think Martin Fermansky published uh, a few years back a, a paper that basically said SARS had escaped from the laboratory four separate times over the course of the years. And Jesus. so, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, these accidents do happen. In particular, uh, if, if, and again, we have to surmise what might have been going on, let's say that the, the Chinese were working on coronaviruses because you can see they are a potential threat. And so they're, right, they're capturing them, characterizing them, maybe getting ready to have uh, antagonists of RNA polymerases, something you know, you know, ready to go if you need them. It would be a very reasonable thing to be watching these guys and, and, and growing them. This virus is sneaky. Yeah. So, you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that somebody got it, didn't know it, and, and instantly spread it through the community. The data that we have the only objective data that we have are the sequences provided by the Chinese scientists in the first case report. That particular data, in my opinion, militates the idea that this was a deliberately engineered strain. But the rest of it, coming out of a laboratory, we have to accept that as a possibility. Was it a, a, a weapons program or whatever? I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of that because you can see why they'd have the incentive to, to hide that. But the other possibility is that it didn't come from a wet market in Wuhan. It came from, you know, some animal that was imported into Wuhan from a different location. We still haven't quite figured that out yet. There's lots of unknowns. But it is interesting how the intelligence community is now pointing back. Uh, I don't know the world to get this straightened out. I don't know how much time they want to spend on it. It would be nice to know if it came yeah. from a lab because that didn't work very well for whoever's lab it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Fortunately, they haven't, much like uh, the idea of the virus leaping from a bat to a person, fortunately, uh, this, this, this strain of thought hasn't turned into the bioweapon thing. You know, uh, no. we don't want... You know, I think I think cooler heads are going to prevail before that becomes. But there are going to be, there are still people. I think there will always be people who will think that this is a deliberate event, which to me is insane because there's no way China would want to poison their their biggest customer. 
No, and I, I think if you look back at what I understand is that in China, the rumor is the American army brought it into China. And you could come right. back and say, but that didn't work very well for the Americans, did it? I mean, exactly. you know, therein lies, lies the rub. If you've got these things uh, bouncing around, you've got to be really careful with them. Uh, and if somebody wasn't, then we need, we need to know. We need to figure that out. But it's also important for the scientists to, if they can establish the reservoir animal, to really nail that down. That's why they're looking so hard, because the last thing we want is for another one to pop out. And, you know, so if it's civet cats, pangolin, whatever it is, if that's part of the, of the, the problem that we have, we need to restrict the trade of those or, or handle them very carefully, handle them very carefully yeah. so that we, we don't have a repeat. And you can see how bad it is because the virus is ahead of us from day one. It takes us a while to figure it out that there's something new out there. And by the time we've got that part down, it's trashed everywhere. We don't want exactly. to do it again. Certainly not. But we will do this again next week uh, for what will be the seventh installment of the special report uh, with an update on what the hell's happening here. I, I don't really know what to say. I'm trying to do a good job of cutting the show at the very end here so we don't – because with Banal of America, I have a habit of going – making the poor guests go three hours, and even that wear, wears me out. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens this week. Uh, I think we're we're at the at the second stage of this in a sense, um, where uh, now, as I have said repeatedly on the show tonight, uh, we're at this inflection point, and in a lot of ways, I think we won't even see that play out for another couple of weeks. So I think we're in we're due for what's going to be, I think, a frustrating period of about ten days to two weeks of of political debate. And and uh, torturous social media posts from everybody under the sun who fancies himself an infectious disease expert um, or an economist who is going to uh, lecture everybody about what needs to be done. So that's, I'm not looking forward to the, to that. <laughs> uh, we'll just have to hope that that cooler heads prevail and. And uh, whatever decision ends up being made, we're in respect in wherever your respective communities are, folks. That that it's uh, it errs on the side of caution. And I, I know a lot of folks are going to have to go back to work regardless. They're going to have to go leave their house. Well, I think a lot of businesses, if they can, are going to continue this work from home situation for a while longer. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think also you're talking about going to the gas station. Uh, businesses will come up with a way to uh, make sure that their employees and their customers are safe because they, they want both to be as yeah. safe as possible. So everybody's yeah. motivated. I think places really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in a sense, it it's true. It's like what you're saying is, because uh, I've checked out of society to let society figure this out. Now that I've, uh, I've kind of started to reemerge a little bit. I mean, like I said, I've gone out more in the last week than I had in the last six weeks. And that's just like that's three trips to the store instead of one uh, or two. Two trips to the, st- to the store instead of one. 
in, in like a week or ten days. But I'm seeing that, that, that the world is adapting to this. So um, perhaps in a sense some of my concerns may be a little, a little unfounded in that uh, I had been imagining that everybody was like the gas station where they just acted like everything was back to normal again. And instead, uh, these places are taking the precautions necessary. So maybe, maybe sort of a soft reentry, or trying to start a soft reentry, wouldn't be nearly uh, as disastrous as I fear. But I'm no, always going to worry. We, we can do this. Uh, you just have to be uh, careful and judicious in um, how you do it. Uh, and again, it's not going to be appropriate for everything, everywhere, at the same time. And, right. and people have to recognize that. That's what, I think one of the problems is that if you're in a, a really a terrible hot spot right now and you watch the news and you see that Florida is letting people back on the beaches, for example, because they deem that to be relatively safe, uh, don't let that get you necessarily impatient that they should be doing something here. It depends on the circumstance. And so we have right, to exactly. recognize that each story is a little bit different. Uh, as much as we'd like things to be one way, they may not be. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how things be next week uh, after another week of, uh, of of this crisis. Is this not exhausting or what, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's, it's it's stressful in and of itself because not knowing when things end that, that always makes it tough. Yeah. Well, for now, we know that we'll be back next week. So on that note, uh, thanks to all the folks in the chat room, uh, Miriam, Chris, Jim Vujovic. Uh, thanks to Mr. Owl who called in. Of course, thank you to Tyler here for uh, serving as co-pilot here on the Manal of America Coronavirus Crisis Special Report, Episode 7. We'll be back next week. Uh, and like I said, call in. We li- I like having the callers, so if we had more callers, that would be... I wouldn't be adverse to more callers, right, Tyler? No, no. We get uh, getting more tidbits, things that I never would have thought of. Let me tell you. Yeah, That's exactly. Good. So if you're a frequent listener uh, and you're around next Friday night, where the fuck are you going to go? You're on lockdown. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, instead of listening to the episode on Monday morning when I finally get around to posting it on the podcast feed, join us Friday night, this coming Friday night, I guess you could say now, uh, April 24th is it the 24th? yeah and uh, and and call in with your insights on this uh, we'd love to hear from you and on that note until then Tim and all with Tyler Coke John thanking you for listening 